Okay. So here we go. We're in week 11 of, of 13. I'm Dale, in case you don't know me. I'm one of the pastors, and I'm proud to say that I've been part of CVC for 30 years. Hallelujah. So I've walked with Rick when we both had hair. We were both young with young kids. We are pulling our hair out because we are young with young kids. Uh, we both have traveled through journeys. We've both been through a lot of things together, but I'm proud to say that there are others in the room who have been part of this congregation for 30 years. And one thing, like I met with a lady two weeks ago and I said this, we will never leave the Word of God. The Word of God will be central in our worship. It'll be central in our teaching. It'll be central, and if it ever stops being central, I'm gone, and I hope you would be too. It's the Word of God that we are here to, en to engage, to be taught by, to learn from, and to become more like Jesus. Just keep trying. Just keep moving forward. Just thriving after that to become more like Christ. That is our goal, and there are others we'll talk about today. You see, disciple-making is obviously part of what, we had, what God had in mind. When Jesus came, resurrected Christ, he came to them and said, Peace be with you. Don't be afraid. But as the Father sent me to you, and he discipled them, now I'm sending you to them. And most of you know the early history of the church. That was the beginning of the church. And those men turned the world upside down. Uneducated, untrained in seminary, but they had walked alongside of Jesus. They had slept in the same region. They had eaten at the same campfires. They got dirty on the same streets. They hungered in the same ways. They came to wells and they were so thirsty together. And at night, Jesus would sit and talk and talk and talk about things. And they would talk about life. And that was the discipling of those men. And we know by studying Acts and beyond Acts, we know that a great transformation took place when they received the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit illuminated everything that Jesus had ever taught. They set the world on fire with this message of salvation through a Savior, through a God who had died for them, a God who had come to earth and had done this work. You see, there were two great saints in the, last, in the last century that spoke about discipleship, and I love them both, and I've read both of their books and so forth. Bonhoeffer died for his faith in Nazi Germany. He opposed Adolf Hitler. He opposed fascism. He opposed this, he opposed this dictatorship, and he opposed it as a pastor, and he was put on a list, and they hung him during the war. But Bonhoeffer said this about discipleship. He said, Christianity without discipleship is always Christianity without Christ. And so many questions here today. Are you being discipled? The answer is yes. By every person you know in the church, by every person that you get close to, by every life group member, by every pastor here who stands before you, by every teaching that you go back to, by every moment that you spend in God's word, you are being taught. Discipleship is about teaching. Now, we're not all teachers, right? We got Mark, we got Jeff, we got Darla, Man, we got them all over. We got Josh. We got teachers all over the room. Praise God. I love those guys, right? But here we are. We're not all teachers. We're not all called to do what I'm doing, but we all teach anyway. Each of you teach as you walk, as you talk, as you act, as you decide what to do with life, in life, with the issues of life. And you can't say, no, not me. I'm only 16. Wrong. <laughs> Wrong. No, I'm, I'm young in the faith. Wrong. It doesn't matter. I've got a guy in my life group who's one year in Christ, and we're sitting next to me is another guy who's 50 years in Christ. And you know what? This young guy is teaching us. He's teaching us by his openness and his transparency and his transformed life and just the way he's responding to Jesus. We're all gaining from it. Some of us are longing to have what he has. Like, oh my, listen to that. 
Here again, the story of Christ and how it changed life, how a transformation is taking place. Okay, so a second person that I greatly revere as a teacher was A.W. Tozer. He taught in Chicago for many years and Akron, Ohio and so forth, and he's, and he's written prolifically. But one of the things he said about discipleship is important for you to recognize. Only a disciple can make a disciple. So that means, are you a disciple? That question needs to be answered. Are you a follower of Christ? Are you a learner? Have you decided that the words of Jesus are the most important words ever written? Have you decided that the pattern of Jesus' life is the pattern that you desire? Have you, have you become a follower? And I don't mean from a distance, not a fan, but a follower of Christ where you're eating the dust coming up off the rabbi's feet. Are you that close? Are you a disciple? There are no other Christians. All Christians are disciples. And all Christians who are disciples need to disciple others. Now, we've come to a point here, right? We can come to a point of frustration as pastors, as elders. We can come to a point of frustration because sometimes we think, where are the equipped people? Where are they? How come they need to be doing this? They need to be doing this. They need to be doing this. And I am so blessed to watch the, um, the emergence of leaders, the emergence of those men and women who have taken the position of being, feeling this. I'm equipped enough to do it now also. I can go forward. I can lead a life group. I can train others. I can take two or three women alongside of me, and I can train them up in the way that I was told in the scriptures. I can grab a younger guy and just, just put my arm around him and say, I've been there, done that. You know, it's funny. I raised four sons, and... I'm listening to these young parents going, oh my gosh, I'm so tired. I never get any rest. There's no rest. How are we going to get through this? You know, and it's so fun to be this age as a grandpa and say, you'll make it. You'll survive. God is with you. You'll make it through this stage. It's happened generation after generation after generation. And in the midst of it, you can follow Christ. No, you can't read the Bible for two hours because at night when you sit down, you fall asleep. You fall asleep giving the baby the last bottle of the day. I remember doing that. I'm on the couch sleeping and Jackie's looking at me. I thought you were giving the baby the bottle. Wake up. I was, but we both fell asleep. It's that warm milk, you know. So today, I want you to look at, with me at, at some verses out of Ephesians 4. Ephesians 4. Let's read together and let's think carefully. Let me pray. Oh, God. So many prayers, Lord, have gone forth. So many prayers have been offered, Lord, that, that we as your people, Lord, would serve you well. Teach us and train us this day for the glory and fame of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Paul, writing to the Ephesians. I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore it says... When Jesus, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. That's us. In saying, oops, in saying he descended, 
ascended, what does it mean but that he had also descended into the lower regions, the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all heavens, that he might fill all things. All he, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, and from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint which is, which is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Wow, I, I hope you'll reflect on those scriptures. I hope you'll think about that. Did you hear Rick's heart in that five-minute sermonette? How we are to be a people, a people unique in our unity, yet diversity, a people who love each other across lines that the world does not do, that there's no separation, that we are called to be brothers and sisters, that we are one those are the words of Paul right here. That we walk this worthy walk, one body, one spirit, one Lord, one faith. How wonderful those words are. As most of you know, the Lord Jesus came from heaven to live a perfect life. He came to suffer and die after living sinlessly, to be the Lamb of God, like John the Baptist said when he first saw him. Behold, the Lamb of God is what he said. He takes away the sins of the world. You know that Jesus came and he died, but he didn't just die. He wasn't just a philosopher or a great teacher. He rose from the dead. He conquered death. He was seen by hundreds. And then he ascended into heaven and he left behind a chore, <laughs> a chore of chores to build the kingdom of God on earth. And he taught us to pray, Lord, let thy kingdom come. And the way it comes is through disciple-making, disciple-making. When I was a young knucklehead at Kent State University, I was lost. I was lost. I was in that liberal culture. I was following the liberal ideas. I did not know Christ and I did not obey his word. I was just a guy going along with culture. And boy, was I getting distracted. Was I going all over the place. But once I came to Christ, I was a brand new Christian. I was just a baby. I was just a child. And I needed to be discipled. And I'll tell you more of that story in a moment. You see, as... As most of you know, it is mandatory that we follow the words and the life of Christ. To be called a Christian is to say that we are little Christians because Paul gave us the definition. I no longer live, Paul said. I have been crucified with Christ. But Christ lives in me. And the life that I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So sometimes what's wrong here is someone else is on the throne of your life. <laughs> there you are, seated, you know. You're seated on the one-seater. One and it's Christ who belongs as Lord of your life, director of your life, and he's given us the Spirit of God to guide us, train us, teach us, correct us, lead us all the time. 
You see, you can't live the Christian life. Well, you go, I'm a very moral person. I'm a very good person. I grew up white. My mom and dad taught me right from wrong. You can't live the Christian life. But I'm a churchgoer. You can't live the Christian life without the spirit of living God living in you. Christ alone lives the Christian life. It's his life coming through you. You see, that's why we want to be those that would sing songs like, I want to die and let my life be given unto you. I want to live in a surrender. I want to render myself dead and you alive. I want to live in the Spirit. I want to walk in the Spirit. I want to be controlled by the Spirit. And when I am that way, I am discipling everyone around me as Jesus did because he never wasn't Spirit-filled. He was always spirit-filled, and he always walked in the spirit of God. And so everything he did and touched and said, and as a disciple, you guys need to look at every word Jesus ever taught. Go back to the Gospels and read them and reread them and reread them and reread them until what comes out of your mouth are his words, his thoughts, and the apostles' words, the apostles' thoughts, and do the renewing of the mind. This is how we become transformed. I'm not the guy I used to be. I used to quote all kinds of knuckleheads, people that are philosophers dead and gone and probably influence people to go to hell with them. But rather now, I speak words of life and it comes out of me because I've had a transform of my mind. My mind has been transformed by the word of God, by the word of God. Okay, so let's consider how thorough is this command? So, so far, I haven't won your, I don't know, there's some of you that look resistant, you know. I'm not a discipler. You are. No. I'm not a discipler. Chad is. I'm not a discipler. It's Josh Stone. No, 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 no. I'm telling you, it is your responsibility to disciple others. And it's not me that's saying that. He is saying that. To the women of our church, oh, how fabulous it is when a woman is transformed into the image of Christ. How marvelous it is when grandma becomes this loving person, this beautiful person. How wonderful it is when a mom has patience that she didn't used to have as the Spirit transforms her, as the fruit of the Spirit starts to come forth. Look at our verses, and I'm going to give several. I'm going to run through them. Titus in 2.4 2, 2, says, Women, train up the younger women to love their husbands and their children. This is more than half of our congregation. Leanne's ministry is to the women of our church. We've invested to, to have these programs and to have activities and to have pullouts and conferences and to have times together so that the women of our church emerge as those beautiful, Christ-like women. And it's your responsibility, gals, to take a look around. To take a look around and go, God, and to prayerfully do this. Jesus prayed all night before he chose the, 13, the 12. He did choose one <laughs> that God needed to use. God needed to have someone who would betray him. But he prayed all night, so prayerfully choose. Like, who is it that God has placed in your environment? It's not somebody over in Chicago. It's not somebody down in Florida. It's here. It's in our midst that you are to disciple one another. You know, Montrage is a beautiful thing. We've got all these young moms and all these kids and all these older moms helping, training, teaching, and being examples. That's beautiful. Women's life groups, they're beautiful. We have life group leaders who have walked with Jesus for a while and are trying to train other women to walk with Jesus and then multiply, and then multiply again. That's, that's what we're instructed to do. 
Timothy writes, Paul writes to Timothy and says, and what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, and trust the faithful men who will be able to teach others also. There it is again. Then we look forward. Ephesians, Paul writes, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. You see, if it's not being done at home, it's probably not going to happen anywhere else. It needs to be done at home. These young couples, they need to teach those beautiful children in the way they should go. They need to see living examples. We need to be taught and, 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 and move forward that way. Teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. This is Jesus. And behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. When Jesus said, go into all the world and make disciples, he didn't say, go into all the world and build nice churches. Didn't say that. He didn't say, you know, go out there and build beautiful worship bands. He didn't say that. He said, go into all the world and make disciples. And behold, I'm with you always. I will never leave you. So don't fear. I don't know how to do this. I just gave you nine different ways that you could do this. You could jump in a life group under a good leader, and that's what we choose. We choose men and women that love the Lord, and they are the under-shepherds. I don't call them life group leaders when we're alone. When we go to dinner together and we sit in my house and when we fellowship, these are the shepherds of the church. They are men that I am shepherding, but they are shepherding. And they're hitting it, man, where it's really at. They're really hearing the stories. These ladies that, that are the life group leaders, they're really hearing the stories of life. And they're working and walking alongside to, to raise the level of faith in every woman that they, that they shepherd. And they are truly under shepherds. Paul writes again, but exhort one another every day as long as it's called today, that none of you will be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. First Peter is, each of you has received a gift, which we know is true. Each of you has received a gift, we know that. Use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's very grace. And this last one I won't read through, but simply is this. Priscilla and Aquila, along the way, they're going down the road and they find out, hey, this guy, uh, Apollos, is teaching like crazy. He doesn't know the whole story. He hasn't yet heard the whole story of the resurrected Christ and the Pentecost and the gift of the Holy Spirit. So they take him aside and they teach him. You see, it's along the way of life. Your personal mission field is not something you find on a map and you put your finger on it. It's where you live. It's where you work. It's where you go to the store. It's where people are. We disciple the lost by telling them truths, by sharing a point of view, a Christian worldview. That's how we disciple the lost, and we are to bring them in. And then they're infants, they're children, right? Okay, so being involved in others' lives for the sake of helping them grow as followers of Christ, this puts us right in the center of God's will. This disciple-making ministry is all ours to serve in. In fact, we are making disciples whether we choose to, to do it intentionally or not. You will be followed, right? Paul wrote to the Hebrew church, uh, the church that circulated the letter that was initially called Hebrews, but in that letter he said to them, by now, this is, his, this is the way I read his attitude, by now you ought to all be teachers. By now, you ought to all be teachers. Because he had spent a couple years teaching them. And he was now chiding them and exhorting them, get up and do it. By now, you ought to all be teachers. Now, I'm going to repeat that. I've already said it two or three times. Does it ring? By now, you ought to be a teacher. 
not time to sit and soak and listen to podcasts and keep gaining information and gaining information and gaining so that you're a theologian. You know, you got a big head full of knowledge. It's time to get down and dirty with the saints, to get involved in people's lives, to walk with them, to live with them, to work toward their well-being. That's what it's about. You know, your, your discipler isn't Tim Keller in New York City or Beth Moore in Georgia. Those guys are not your disciples. It's not some guy in Chicago. Your disciples are here in the flesh. Jesus didn't send a, a hologram that appeared in all the villages around Jerusalem, right? He didn't do that. He came in the flesh. He ate with them. He drank with them. He lived with them. His life was shared. They knew Jesus when he was exhausted and frustrated. They heard his frustration when he said to them, how long must I put up with you? And he did say that to his disciples. But love, speaking the truth in love, we speak the truth in love. Okay. Hmm. Okay, verse 11. Specifically, there were five offices given to the church. You see them on the screen. They were apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers. What you see in front of you on weekends here are the shepherd teachers. Some say that's the same office or the same gifting. But that's what you see here. And of course, evangelism is part of that, right? Reaching people for, for that. But these offices are purposed to build the body. What does the scripture say? These are the offices given to the church to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. So I'm handing out tools today, right? Here they are. We're handing out tools. They're, they're voluntarily going to be chosen by you. They're tools to help you, to equip you, so that you're prepared, so that you can give an answer for your faith and you can give answers to tough questions. Okay. You see, the experience of being born again, though, leaves us all in the same place. We're children. We're children. When, when you begin in faith, I don't care if you're a, a scholar, when you're 55 years old, you came to Christ, you are an infant in Christ. You're a child. And you will need to grow, and you'll need milk of the word. You'll need the story. You'll need what's in here. But you're not ready for the more solid food, like Paul says. You need the milk. So when we're discipling the young in Christ, the young in faith, we disciple them with basic, basic teaching, understanding of the role of Christ, the person of Christ, the crucifixion of Christ, the resurrection of Christ, basic truths. But then as we grow, we go on to solid food. You see, the thing with children is they're quite helpless. They need others to assist them in this new life. We are to grow, but as babies, we need milk of God's word. And as we mature, we take on the solid food. The shepherds and the teachers are to move the infants to become children. But it takes a family. It takes more than just Sunday teachers to really bring this about. It takes a family of faith. This is where we all come in. You see, in verse 12, it says, "...to equip the saints for the work of the ministry." Okay, now, if you leave here today less equipped, I have failed. I've failed. I mean, I don't care if you go with this nice sermon, Dale. I don't want that. I want you to take to heart this call. You are to make disciples. That's the, that is the, the center of God's heart, the very center. The natural tendencies of children, though, are to be selfish and to be interested in self-gratification, and it's directly contrary. This teaching is directly contrary to that. See, selfishness comes with every newborn, right? They want what they want when they want it. 
But by, by time and patience and instruction and the word of God, they become those that start to give and start to give their faith and begin to believe that their calling isn't just for themselves but for others. This entire message is about that. You didn't get saved just for yourself. Christ didn't minister to you so that you take this in for a private, personal, selfish gain. I'm going to heaven. But when I met Rick, the thing that convinced me, one of his lines was, he would say so frequently, I, I would say, Rick, what are we trying to do here? We got 14 people in this church. 14. I said 14. And he'd say, well, I want to go to heaven, and I want to take as many people with me as I can. That's down-home country. But that's good talk. That's wonderful talk. I want to go to heaven, and I want to take as many people as I can with me. How about you? Open your eyes. God is sovereign. He has placed you strategically to reach your personal mission field. Unity of faith is what we're after. Unity of knowledge. The more we grow in the knowledge of Christ, the more will our faith and our love will grow. I love Jesus more now than I did 42 years ago. Hallelujah. I love him more now because I know him better. And the more I get to know him, the more I get to love him. How about you? Maybe you've lost that. Love Jesus most right now. Return to your first love. Don't be that church in Revelations that they lost their first love. In verse 14, Paul uses contrast to teach, right? He talks about these children. They're tossed to and fro by waves and carried about and their winds of doctrine and human cunning. Here you hear the outcomes of immaturity. This is what happens with immaturity. They're easily swayed. They like to be entertained. They don't want to do the hard thing. They don't want to be disciplined. They, they don't really want to come under, you know, that's how children are. But here's how immature Christians are, right? So here comes the cult. They knock at your door, right? They knock at your door. They got a Bible. They got these tracts. They got this information. And you're immature. And you start listening to them. And they start selling you a lie. And they sell a lie. And they're cunning. They're crafty. They're deceitful. But you, you immature Christian can be sucked right in. A person who doesn't know the word of God is bound to be sucked in as they talk about their, their unique way of faith. So the popular TV preacher, right, he, he gets his message ready. He's all prepared. He's got a delightful message for everyone. In fact, he will smile the entire service. He will make you smile because he's going to talk about wealth and health. He's going to talk about the promises of God. You will prosper and you will continue to prosper. And as she gives this message, the immature one goes, wow, I like that gospel. I like this message. I don't want to hear about a cross. But Jesus said, pick up your cross daily and follow me. Bonhoeffer said to his church, come and die. Which are you listening to? Immaturity will go by flocks. I turn on the television and I see stadiums full of people. They're all smiling and so happy. It's all about a message, wealth and health. Cunning, deceitful taking others to hell. So the top-selling Christian artist comes to town. He's a musician. She's, they're great. They're a great band. In the midst of the concert, they want to teach a little bit. And they start teaching about phenomenal visions, phenomenal experiences with Jesus, things you'd never heard before. And you're sitting there going, wow, I want some of that. It's because you're immature, because you're easily entertained, because you'd like it that way. You like the buzz. And they, they go on to teach you things that are really unbiblical completely, but you might buy it if you're immature. 
We need to grow up. We need to grow up. That's the message. Some top-selling Christian music artists, right? They'll put their band out there, but boy, that's not the message. The message is behind the music. It's behind the music. It's unbiblical music. Unbiblical. See, the enemy cleverly disguises himself to lead children away. The word warns us, and I'm telling you today, there are many today, not in this church, many today are starting to call themselves apostles. Apostles. They call themselves that. Many are calling themselves prophets, modern prophets that are hearing God's word, and they're hearing it in unbelievable, visional ways, and so forth and so forth. I'm warning you, beware. They're self-appointed. The apostles were chosen by Christ. The apostles were chosen by Christ in a face-to-face. They were his disciples. Those were the apostles. The apostles that are with us today are, are now proclaiming themselves as such. Nearly every New Testament book says, watch out, they're coming. The false teachers, the false prophets are coming. And Jesus wasn't kind to them. He said they're wolves. They are wolves in sheep clothing. So finally, last couple of verses. In verse 15, so how do we do this? How do, we, how do we disciple? How do we do this? You see, we have to speak the truth. This is the truth. This is the truth. Now, we're in a culture where postmoderns ago, nothing's true. Absolutely nothing is true. Do you hear the stupidity in that? Absolutely, for certain, nothing is true. Two plus two is four? No, only to you it is. That's what postmodern mentality is. That's what the thinking is. There's no truth. Truth is all subjective. If it's true for me, then it's true. But what you tell me is your truth isn't my truth. It's your truth. And Jesus said, I have come to testify to the truth. And he said, I am the truth. We are really becoming more and more peculiar men and women. Peculiar in this. We believe there is truth, and we believe God is the truth, and what the Bible says is true, and that our Lord Jesus is truth himself embodied. When he stood before Pilate and Pilate asked him, what is the truth? Pilate didn't know. He had no idea what the truth was. But Jesus proclaims, I am the way and the truth and the life. You see, speaking the truth in love is often used wrongly. It's like we got to speak the truth in love to somebody. You know, you're going to say something really harsh, but you can try to say it gently. That's how we interpret it. That's not it. In this context, not at all. In this context, it is this. We need to speak God's word. Speak truths about God. Speak continuously to each other about God. Teach each other about God. And we do it in love, always in love, necessarily in love. If there is not love in it, if you're being discipled by a Nazi, get out of that. <laughs> you know, if you've got somebody who's just, just, just harsh with you all the time and is trying to show you Christ, it's such a contradiction. A discipler is loves. A disciple chooses to disciple because he loves. Mark Deaver is a pastor in Washington, D.C., and he, he said this. He said, love initiates the discipling relationship, just like Jesus. That love, um, pardon me. Love initiates it. Love humbly gives himself in it. Love takes criticism while discipling. And love does everything, including the separation at the end. You see, the whole discipleship process is a process of loving. We choose to love one another through discipleship. We choose to enter into a, and express our love within the forms of discipleship. 
the care that comes along with it. I mean, do you know how tender it must have been? I mean, come on, think with me. How Jesus must have been with those guys when they would sit together and have a meal. And he would tenderly teach them and correct them and speak into their hearts. I mean, why did 11 of these 12 guys go to their death for Jesus? Because they had never seen such a love. They had never seen such power and strength and purity and integrity. And then to prove it all, he rose from the dead to prove that he was God incarnate in the flesh. That's what discipleship is about. Verse 16, see the whole body when joined together, every joint, every connection, every part of connecting, see when it's equipped, which is what we're trying to do here at CVC, we don't want to leave us in immature states and in childlike states. We want to grow up. When each part is working properly, it makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. See, that's a pastor's heart. That's what you heard Rick crying out for in that short speech this morning. So if you look in your program, you'll see there's a response. How shall I respond? Right? Perhaps you just need to really be prayerful and repent. You know? But it's time for us all to enter into this wonderful activity of discipling one another. God bless you guys today.